Throughout the Bible, it talks about the moment the Israelites were set free from the oppression from Egypt by God with great power and wonders. But it's not always known that the plagues were not just random acts of power, but specific attacks to undermine the religious society of Egypt that would eventually lead to the freedom of a whole nation. In episode 27, Battle of the Gods. Welcome to the History of the Bible podcast. The time had come. Moses and Aaron stood before the ruler of the Egyptian empire, and they weren't about to back down. When Moses and Aaron stood before the king, they performed the first sign before him. Aaron cast his staff on the ground, and it became a serpent. Then the king called for his magicians, and they were able to do the same thing with their secret arts. Magicians were just what you think they were. They were sorcerers that performed magic. No, not like today's magicians that only use illusions to bring entertainment to a crowd, but these were magicians that were trained in the art of magic. Most of the time, people believed that they were just great illusionists, just like the people we see today. However, these people actually practiced magic. The most notable practitioners were the lector priests. They were the ones that could read the ancient books of magic that were held in the temples and palaces libraries. They are the ones that perform rituals to protect their king, help people in the afterlife, and help heal the sick. However, as time went on, the role of the lector priest performing the rituals began to be taken over by just magicians. But magic wasn't just for the educated and elite. It is thought that the midwives in Egypt would use it to help deliver a baby. A woman might use it to call up a spirit. Magic was even used to help snake and scorpion charmers to get rid of poisonous reptiles from an area. Just like religion, magic was a part of their everyday life. To them, magic was just like eating and sleeping. The Egyptians believed in the god of magic named Hika. In Egyptian myth, he was before any of the other gods and it was by him that the other gods created life. But not only did he help the other gods and goddesses create life, Hika was believed to be the one who sustained life. From conception, birth, life, death, and the afterlife were all believed to be connected to magic. If a woman was having trouble bearing children, magic was used to help her conceive. If someone was sick or had contracted a disease, magic was used on it. It was very widely used in medicine, as the Egyptians believed that a disease to be a supernatural thing that magic and communications with the gods could fix. Charms and spells were used widely by almost all the Egyptians of all classes, from the king all the way down the social ladder. And once death came, magic again was used, from the mummification of the body so that the soul in the afterlife could recognize it, to over 190 spells that were used to help the person navigate their way into the afterlife. However, one of the main roles that magic was used for was in religion. It was mostly used to tell the way that the world worked and was created, along with the gods and goddesses. The priests used it as a way to display the power of their god that they served, as they were the ones that were in the middle between the people and the gods and goddesses. This would bring maintenance and stability to the religious aspect of the Egyptians' life, and it was their duty as priests and priestesses 
to defend their God against other nations' gods. That is why, to the Egyptians and the king, it was so important that the magicians were able to do the same type of signs and wonders that Moses and Aaron did. It wasn't that they were just being copycats of Moses and Aaron, they were trying to retain order and stability in Egypt. This again goes back to the hardening of the king's heart. It wasn't God that hardened the heart of the king, but that he hardened it on his own because he was defending his faith and his gods and authority that were given to him by those gods. So when Moses and Aaron throw their staff on the ground, it became a snake, which could have multiple meanings. Snakes in ancient Egypt were worshipped and feared. The shedding of skin of snakes was seen as an eternal renewal, but they were also seen as protectors of kings and gods. On the other hand, they were also depicted as demons with snake heads that tormented evil souls. Snakes in ancient Egypt were seen with gods and goddesses as having them as a staff or wearing them on their headdresses, just like some kings are depicted having the cobra on their headdress. Often this was a sign of power, that one was able to hold and control the venomous snake that often lived in and around Egypt. Other times, a priest or a king would carry a staff that looked like a snake to show their power and position. The snake charmers in the area that used magic to charm the snakes had a practice that they would grab the snake by the head so that it wouldn't bite them. Only the gods and goddesses that used snakes as a staff and canes picked the snakes up by the tail, showing great power over the snake and just power in general. This could be why, in Exodus 4, verse 4, that God tells Moses to pick up the snake by the tail, and that in Exodus 7, verse 1, God tells Moses that he had made him like a god before the king, because Moses was acting, as the Egyptians knew them, like a god with great power. The Egyptians also saw the snake as something else. Apophis, the great serpent, enemy of their son god Ra, the myth goes that every night after Ra has made the long journey across the sky in his boat, bringing sunshine into the earth, that Apophis tries to attack him. After Ra makes the journey across the sky, he brings those that died with him into the underworld. But just as he goes into the underworld to bring the dead safely to the afterlife, Apophis tries to kill Ra, but never succeeds, because the sun rises the next morning. This goes on forever with Apophis, the great serpent, always losing. Therefore, when Moses and Aaron came in and threw their staff onto the ground, it turned into a snake. To the Egyptians, it could symbolize Apophis. Apophis was also considered to be the god that was trying to destroy order and bring chaos back into life. And to make things worse, in the eyes of the Egyptians, Aaron's staff would swallow up their staffs. In Exodus 7, verse 11 and 12, it says that the magicians were able to cast down their staffs, and it became a snake as well. However, Aaron's snake would swallow up the other snakes that were created by the magicians. Many scholars today believe that it was just an illusion that the magicians did to show that they could create snakes out of their staffs, just like Aaron. But how could Aaron's snake swallow up an illusion? Some say that it was a real snake, but looked like a staff because of some type of snake charming trick. 
But even this, in Egyptian culture, was done through magic. This would mean that the magic the magician used had to come from somewhere, and it wasn't from God. Most likely, it was from demonic powers, and demons do have power, but not unlimited power like God. Just like Satan, they cannot create. He is only able to distort the truth. This demonic power through magic is often what causes many people to believe in their nation's gods. Through the use of magic, the magicians were able to make their staffs come to life. There's been stories of some priests in ancient Egypt using wax figurines of different animals that they would use to bring to life. One of these wax animals that have been found is a snake that dates back to these times. When the magician's staffs were swallowed up, most likely this could have meant two different things or both. When Aaron's staff swallowed up the magician's staffs, it would show that the enemy of their god Ra, Apophis, the great snake, just defeated their beloved god. This would, in the Egyptian's mind, have caused the whole cosmos to be undone. Another thing that the Egyptians could have seen the swallowing up of their snakes as is the absorption of power. Throughout the Egyptian culture, it refers to the consumption of someone or something as gaining knowledge and power, such things as kings eating men and their gods as they were conquered other nations, or swallowing the truth to gain more knowledge and understanding. Therefore, as Aaron swallows the last of the Egyptian snakes, it could be a sign to them that they were about to lose their power and authority by being consumed by Israel's God. But even after being shown this as a sign of destruction, the king hardened his heart, not willing to give up authority to the God of Israel. The king would continue to call upon his magicians to counteract Aaron and Moses. It's interesting that in 2 Timothy 3 verse 8, Paul is telling Timothy of people that will oppose the truth in the church. And he uses an example of Yannis and Jambres, who opposed Moses in Egypt. These two guys were thought to be the two chief magicians that opposed Moses and Aaron by using their magic and secret arts. Having many legends surrounding them, mostly Jewish legends, Yannis and Jambres are said to have foretold the king of Moses' birth and the destruction of the kingdom, which would lead the king to ordering all male children to be killed out of fear for Egypt. It's believed that when Moses first came to the king that they mocked Moses for bringing magic into Egypt, the land of magic art. It's said that these two men were amongst the mixed multitude that left Egypt with Israel and would later cause the people of Israel to worship the calf that they convinced Aaron to make. Other legends say that these men were with Balaam when he was hired by Balak, the king of Moab, to curse Israel after they came out of Egypt. They were also mentioned by other Greek and Roman philosophers in later time periods as the most powerful Egyptian magicians. In the 3rd century, Yenis and Jambres' tomb was found, and it was known as a place that the people went to to call upon the demons there for magic purposes. These were the leaders of the magicians in Egypt that were opposing Moses and Aaron. With that begins the plagues that would bring terror to the Egyptian people. In Exodus 7, verse 14 through 25, it tells the event of the first plague, 
In this plague, the Lord tells Moses that because the king hardened his heart, he will not let the Israelites go. So to show himself to the king, the Lord has Moses turn the Nile River into blood. Aaron is told to stretch out his staff over the waters of Egypt and all the rivers, the canals, the ponds, and pools of water, and it would turn into blood. When the Nile would flood each year, the extra water was channeled to water reserves, and these would be used throughout the year to water the crops. That is why, when the Nile turned into blood, all of these other bodies of water did so too. In Exodus 7 verse 21, it says that the fish in the Nile died, it stank, and was no longer a source of water to drink. The plague would last for seven days, and it got so bad that people were digging around the Nile in hopes of finding some water to drink. The Nile River was extremely important to the Egyptians, as it was seen by them to be the lifeline of their kingdom. Transportation, crops, fishing, and water all came from the Nile River. If the Nile didn't exist, the Egyptian kingdom would not exist. The Nile was so much so a life-given river that it is often associated with Happy, the god of the Nile, but more recognized as a god over the flood of the Nile. The annual flooding caused by monsoon rains in the highlands of Ethiopia would bring down the Nile River rich nutrient soil for the farmers to grow their crops. Hymns were written to Happy, showing that every aspect of Egyptian life was dependent on Happy and his annual flooding of the Nile being worshipped as a god that brought the barley and wheat for the people. But not only was he praised for watering of the crops, he was also called the Lord of the Fish because of the abundant amount of fish that would come with the Nile River. This could also be why he is sometimes thought of as the fertility god because of the abundance that he brought with him. In ancient Egypt, Happy is depicted as a fat male god with either blue or green skin. It was also an attack on the god Num, who is thought to be the guardian of the Nile and was a creator god that used the fertile mud of the Nile to help shape humans and animals on his potter's wheel. The Nile River was also seen as Osiris's bloodstream. The Nile River was very important and revered by the Egyptians. There are different theories for each of the plagues that some scholars try to use to say that the plagues were just natural things that just happened to come about when Moses was there. For the Nile turning to blood, there is a theory called chain reaction of the first six plagues. This theory suggests that the reason that the river turned to blood was because of a large amount of red algae and red dirt washed into the Nile farther upstream due to an excessive amount of rain. The red algae and red dirt would then cause the water to become deoxygenated, making the fish die. However, the algae that are said to cause the river to run red and kill the fish are not normally red when the water is flowing, like the Nile is, but they're actually green. Can't really mistake that as blood. And in the last 100 years of studying the Nile, these two types of algae that supposedly turn the Nile red have never been found in the Nile River with its 400 species of algae. They're not even found in the 1,000 species found in East Africa. They are found, though, in sub-Arctic cold climates. But when they are found, 
They don't cause any harm and for sure don't make water polluted. Actually, today the algae that is claimed to cause the Nile River undrinkable is very beneficial for a person's health. And for the mud being red and turning the water red, the Nile River's mud is brown. Plus, the amount of mud that would have caused the river to look red would have killed the algae. If it was just mud that caused the river to be red, then the water would still have been drinkable. The reason the fish died and the water was not drinkable was because God turned the water into blood. It wasn't just the river, but pools, ponds, and canals. The rest of the chain reaction theory will be told as we go through the plagues. Another thought is that the plagues were used to point the Israelites back to their God. In Exodus 14 verse 31, it says that because of the great power of God that the Israelites feared and believed in the Lord. God used the plagues to show that he was the God of creation. The first plague of the blood, it says in Exodus 7 verse 19, that Aaron was to take a staff and stretch his hand over the bodies of water in Egypt. The word for the bodies of water is the same word that is used when God created the dry land and the water in Genesis 1 verse 10. The use of the same word could be that it is pointing to the time that God created all of the waters. But in this case, rather than creating, God was able to change the very things that he created. However, the Bible does use the same word to call out any type of body of water. So it might not necessarily be so much a lesson to the Israelites on creation, but an attack on the Egyptians' gods and showing the Israelites that the God of their fathers is more powerful than any other. As we go through the plagues, it will be talked about how some scholars believe that the plagues were connected to the creation in Genesis. So join us next time as we will continue to look at the horrors that would plague the Egyptian people in episode 28, The Battle of the Gods, part 2. Thanks for listening to the History of the Bible podcast. We want to hear from you on how this podcast has impacted you. Please check out the links in the show notes. Until next time, remember that you are loved, special, and worthwhile.